Now, we've got two main divisions for tonight, and I do not have a lot of subpoints. Normally, I've got a bunch of subpoints, got it all broken down, but two main points for those of you that take notes, and then you might want to jot down notes as we're going through it. But the first thing that we're going to look at is the promise of judgment. Promise of judgment. Sounds like a great promise, right? Who wants that promise? Promise of judgment. And then lastly, as we get uh, toward the end of our time tonight, we will look at the promise of Jesus. That's way better. Promise of judgment and then promise of Jesus. Now, this series that myself and the high school students are going through, I titled The True Light. Why the true light? When John, the writer of the Gospel of John, was uh, starting to describe the story of Jesus, he started by talking about John the Baptist. And he said about John the Baptist in in John chapter 1, verse 8, he was not that light. Speaking about John the Baptist, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And then he said in verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Speaking about Jesus. Jesus was the true light which gives light to every man, and I would say woman and child, I think it's safe to add that, coming into the world. Light is an important part of the Christmas season, isn't it? How many of you have your Christmas lights up at home? How many of you have those up? Okay, very good. The rest of you, get with it. Let's go. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, is my, my goal is to get the Christmas lights up. Uh, we've had a pretty busy season, pretty busy schedule lately, but I was uh, finishing those up on, on Black Friday. That night I was out there, you know, got my jacket on and finished putting up the lights outside just to let everybody know that, okay, Christmas season has started, let's go. Lights are an important part of the season. We love lights everywhere. We want them on our houses. Uh, we want them in our trees. We want them on the Christmas tree. Isn't that weird that we go and buy a tree and put it in our house? Isn't that weird? So strange. And then we put lights all over it. We put lights on the mantle. And lights are a a, a wonderful thing. Uh, I love lights. Well, Jesus is the light or the true light which gives light to every man in, in coming into the world. But how did all of that come about? Now, I told you that we would be in Micah. So we're going to start at Micah chapter 1 under that heading of promise of judgment. And we are not going to read every single verse from every chapter. Again, we're going to do, we're going to get a good overview of chapter one to five of Micah. But we'll hit some, just certain verses. We won't read all of it, but we will start in Micah one, one. Because it gives us a good idea of what Micah, what was going on? What was he doing? Why is there a book named Micah? It says in verse one, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So we, we've got a good idea there. Micah, he was a prophet called by God, and he ministered during the reign of Jotham, King Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were We're told they're kings of Judah. Now, to give you a little bit of background, at this time, the time that this was uh, uh, written, or the time that we're being told about, 
There had been civil war in Israel. We all know that we, we, we think about Israel and it's, it's, uh, it's one country. At the time that, that this, is, this story is being told, there's been some civil war, there's been warring between uh, the people of Israel, and there's a northern Israel, you're going to see that it's referred to as Israel, sometimes it's referred to as Jacob, sometimes it's referred to as Samaria. All of those names are synonymous as far as our story is concerned. And then you're going to see that sometimes it's talking about Judah or Jerusalem. And that would be considered the southern part of the country. And so you had a northern part with its own king, a southern part with its own king. And you will find if you go through Nehemiah, or rather Micah, that he ministers primarily to the southern part. However, he does address the northern part also. We'll see that here. But you'll notice that it, it really zeroes in on the kings of Judah, the southern part, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, what about these guys? You know, Jotham and Hezekiah were actually pretty good kings. If you're a note taker in 2 Chronicles 27, verses 1 and 2, talking about Jotham, it says, Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. And it tells us there, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, but he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But you'll notice at the end of verse 2, 2 Chronicles 27, verse 2, it says, but... Still, the people acted corruptly. Now, that's the reason why Micah is, has been sent by the Lord to, to come and prophesy to the people and even to these kings. Although uh, he was contemporaries with uh, Isaiah and some other prophets, actually. And Isaiah really, it seems, was called to talk to the higher-ups, you know, the the royalty, the people that were in charge, and uh, Micah seems to, to really be ministering to more of the, uh, the everyday kind of people. But, but we're told there that even though Jotham was a good king and did what was right in the sight of the Lord, that the people still acted corruptly, even though they had a good leader. Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Uh, it was, it was, seems to be an excellent king. But what about Ahaz? Now, I told you that we would travel a little bit, and so I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16 says this. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. It's the same guy, Ahaz, as we see in Micah chapter 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. Can you imagine that? What was I doing when I was 20? Goodness, I was a little kid. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So remember, Jerusalem, that would indicate the southern part. Okay? And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. 
And he was a descendant of David. David was not directly his father. But Ahaz was not a good guy. How do we know that? Verse 3. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now remember, I'm trying to not confuse you with the names. But he says that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. That would indicate that he was acting like the kings that were in the northern kingdom. And uh, they, they were already in trouble. Uh, Syria had already, I mean, they, they, they were, had already been taken over. They had already been taken captive. Their land was occupied. And, and uh, this guy Ahaz is acting like them. Well, what, what do you mean acting like them? What are you talking about? Well, I'm glad that you asked because here's what he says. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. He made his son pass through the fire. What in the world does that mean? Well, what that means is um, some of you may have been here a while back when I taught on a Sunday morning and we, we, uh, we looked at um, Deuteronomy, looked at a passage in Deuteronomy. And we talked about how the children of Israel were preparing to go into the promised land. And Moses is giving them all kinds of instructions, reminding them of, of things that he had already told them. One of the big things that just continually comes up is that uh, when you get into the, the, the new land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, where the Canaanites are, the Perizzites, the, uh, the Hittites, all of these people, he says, you got to make sure that you do not worship the way that they do. They're idolaters. One of the gods, one, one of the gods that they worshipped was the god Molech. Everybody say Molech. Molech, yeah, not mole, okay? Some of you Latinos in here like mole? No, not mole. Molech. Molech had arms that extended from the body. And uh, it was made out of metal, and they would heat these arms up. And to appease their god, the god Molech, they would sacrifice their own children on these arms, burning them to death. There were all sorts of other things that they did. I, the idolatry uh, included uh, just all forms of, of, of uh, sexual practices. Men, women, children, animals, everything. Everything was allowed. The, the gods required all of that. And so we're told here that this king Ahaz, this guy was so wicked that he even killed his own son, sacrificed his own son, made him pass through the fire. That's what that means. This is the king of Judah. And check this out. If you go to Matthew, the book of Matthew, don't do that right now, but if you go to the book of Matthew and you go through the genealogy leading up to Joseph, who was the father, you know, some people say the stepfather of Jesus, you know. Guess who's in that, in that lineage? This guy, Ahaz. What? Wow. And it says in verse 4 of 2 Kings chapter 16, and he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Those are all indicators. Uh, if, you, if you go through the book of Deuteronomy, you find out these are all indicators. This, this king Ahaz, this king of Judah, was, idol, was an idolater. 
He was practicing idolatry. And the fact that he was sacrificing and burning incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree, you know, nature was included in their practice, their worship practices, uh, along with all of the sinful practices. And he was doing all of these things. If you skip down with me, if you're in 2 Kings 16 and you go to verse 7, it says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath, Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel. Because Syria and Israel and the northern part, they were, they were making their way south. He says, they rise up against me. Verse 8, and Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house, and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. Now, you say, well, he was sending gifts, sending presents. Sounds like Christmas sounds great. No. What he was doing was he was paying off the king of Assyria and saying, I want you, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you to protect us. When they should have been trusting God, to protect them, he's paying off these foreign kings. And he's going to learn a hard lesson because eventually, spoiler alert, eventually the Assyrians will turn on him also and wipe him out. But he's trusting these other foreign entities. And that was a problem for God. God wanted to protect his own people. And uh, uh, on top of that, this man is an idolater, and uh, we uh, are told in Chronicles that he was leading the people astray uh, morally. Obviously, we can see that. And so it was, it was a bad time. It was a difficult time. Now, we can go back to Micah chapter 1, and we're done with 2 Kings for tonight. But Micah chapter 1, and we'll continue reading some key verses there in Micah chapter 1, in verse 2 of Micah chapter 1, it says, Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you. There's the first indicator. The Lord is going to witness against you, not in your favor, but against you. He goes on to say, look at verse 3, For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. Is that good or bad? Well, we continue reading and it says he will come down. And we go, oh, well, that, that sounds pretty cool. God's coming out of his place. He's going to come down. And then we read in verse, at the end of verse 3, and tread on high places of the earth. Tread on high places. Okay, I'm, I'm not too sure. Well, it becomes very clear in verse 4. The mountains will melt. Okay, that's definitely not good. So now we understand when the Lord comes, it's not going to be a good visit. Because the, the mountains will melt under him. And we're told in verse 4, and the valleys will split. We move to verse 5. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Now, what he has just revealed for us there is this. I told you that Micah is primarily prophesying against the, the, the uh, southern kingdom. 
But what he just did in that verse, which verse was it? Verse 5, is he mentioned the transgression of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. Now, you may remember, I told you that the name Israel and the name Jacob, synonymous. They both had, they, that, that indicates northern kingdom, okay? Which they had already, they were already being occupied. And then he says, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? That was the capital city there in the north. And then he says, what are the high places of Judah? Now, just so you know, high places, whenever the Bible talks about, and you'll see it in the Old Testament, the high places, that's not a good thing. That is an indicator that idolatry is taking place. And they would go and they would fill up all of the high places. In other words, they would go up into the hills and they would build their altars to their idols up in the hills as high as they could. Probably feeling like I need to get as close as I can to my God, you know, to try and appease him. And so the high places are not a, not a good thing. But he's just mentioned the transgression of, ja transgression of Jacob, the sins of the house of Israel. Talking about the same group of people, Jacob and Israel, transgressions and sins. He says, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria, the capital city of the north? But then he turns his attention to the south. And he says, and what are the high places of Judah? So there were high places, idolatry happening in Judah. And he says, are they not Jerusalem? Now, Jerusalem is the capital in the south. You follow me? Good? Okay. Samaria and Jerusalem, he just, he, he just called them out. What he is saying is, is that th those, those would have been considered the big cities. The big cities. I don't like this garland here. Normally I like to be hanging off the edge trying to get as close as I can to you. I've almost kicked it a few times. He's calling out the big cities. And he's saying, listen, these capital cities, these big cities, Samaria and Jerusalem, at the heart of those, of the country or countries, those, the southern part, the northern part and the southern part. He says, man, those places are wicked. And because of that, what, he's, what Micah is saying is, is that judgment is coming. Now, this is not hard for you and I to understand, right? I mean, we're out here, way out here in little old Mentucky, in the fee. And we all look and we go, L.A.? Nah. Some of us used to live out there. And that's why you're here. Because you go, oh man, the big city. Wicked, you know. We think of San Francisco. Nah. We think of New York. Nah. Nah. We understand the concept or the idea the, that a, a, a big city, man, that's where, that's where all the mess is happening, right? Now, is there mess in Menifee? There absolutely is. Maybe it's on a smaller scale. This is more of a conservative area. We understand that. We understand that those bigger cities, man, a lot of times that's where, that's where all the action is happening. That's where all the sin is happening. There's sin all over the place. But in these big cities, obviously, it's, it's popular. It's the thing to do. Everyone and everything is just welcome, and you can just live however you want and do whatever you want out in the open. That's the idea. 
And what, what God, through the prophet Micah, is pointing out is that these capital cities at the time were problematic. There was wickedness happening there. And so we go, yeah, well, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. But it wasn't just the capital cities. It was the land, north and south. There was wickedness happening everywhere. We already read that uh, Jotham was... He was a good king, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but still the people acted very corruptly. So it wasn't just those big cities, but he, he's, he's zeroing in on them. He's primarily talking about them, and he's saying, listen, that's, that's the heart of the problem right there. He says in verse 6 of Micah chapter 1, Therefore I will make Samaria, that's northern or southern, family? Northern, you got it. He's going to make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field. He goes on in verse 7, and he describes for us all her carved images. Notice, that's all idols. Shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot, prostitute, shall be burned with fire. All her idols I will lay desolate. For she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and he shall return to the pay of a harlot. He goes on in verse 9 to say, he's, he's now, he's talking about Israel and Judah. For her wounds are incurable. For it has come to Judah, it has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. In other words, the, the southern part is infected. It's infected. Wasn't just the northern part, but now the southern part also. It's come to the gate, it's come to Jerusalem, the capital city, it is infected. Now, Stop for a moment. I told you when we started several minutes ago that we were going to be looking at a very important portion of the Christmas story. Does this sound like a Christmas message to you so far? Mm -mm. But there is a method to my madness. What I am attempting to do right now, and I will share some more with you. You may not want to hear any more of this, but I, I have to give you a good idea of what's happening. What I am attempting to do right now is to share, by the time we get to the end of our, our, our time together, to share an incredible, a, a beautiful verse with you. But in order for you to understand the, the importance and the impact of that verse... You have got to see the dark or the bleak background to which that verse was set against. And when you see that contrast, and I'm going to do my best to tie it all in, then I'm praying, I'm hoping that by the time we leave here, that verse will be that much more important to you. You'll have some context. You'll have some background. You with me, church? Yes? All right. Let's look at Micah chapter 2. We'll move through these very quickly. Micah chapter 2. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. What he does in Micah chapter 2 is he's talking about, he, he really is addressing the fact that the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the rich, the wealthy people, are oppressing the poor. And he's saying there they devise iniquity they work out evil on their beds. In other words, they don't go to sleep because at night, they're just, man, they're thinking about all the evil things they're going to do in the morning. And then he says at morning light, they practice it. Notice what they do in verse 2. 
Micah chapter 2, verse 2, they covet fields and take them by, by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and, and, and his house, a man and his inheritance. At the end of verse 3, it says, for this is an evil time. If you move down further into verse 6, he talks about the problem of lying prophets. Here's what the people were saying. Do not prattle, you say to those who prophesy. In other words, Micah, Isaiah, the other prophets, they were, they were going around and they were speaking the truth or prophesying, trying to warn people, and the people were telling them, stop prattling. In other words, stop chattering. In other words, we would say, stop running your mouth. I don't even know what you're talking about. So they were brushing off the, the prophets and their prophecies, their messages from God. So in verse 6, he says, so they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. Verse 8, lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with the garment from those who trust you. They trust you and you're stripping them as they pass, pass by like men returned from war. The women of my people you cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children, you have taken away my glory forever. There is a dramatic switch in verse 12, where Micah begins to talk about a restoration. That's very common. When you get um, uh, some of these Old Testament prophets, major or minor, as you're going through, you hear this judgment taking place, but then God always manages to slip in some, some hope. To say, listen, this judgment is coming. It will not last forever. It is coming. But there is some hope. In Micah chapter 3, turn there with me. He begins to talk about the wicked rulers and prophets. He says, hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. So again, he's addressing that northern part, but this is for the entire country. Verse 2, look at this description. You who hate good and love evil. Sound familiar? Baby, this is America. This is the world that we're living in. Who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones, chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them. How devastating. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. You see what's going on? He's saying that the, the, the rich and the, and the strong, the powerful, are, um, they are, 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 are mistreating and torturing and taking advantage of the, the poor and the weak. But he says when the poor and the weak cry out to the Lord, God's not coming to their rescue. Why? I thought God loved the poor and the weak. He does. But these poor and these weak in this particular story were people that have been evil. And so it's part of the judgment. Terrifying. In Micah chapter 4, excellent chapter, filled with hope. Wonderful verses in there. If you get a chance, read through that. We're not going to do that tonight because we're short on time. But it's an incredible chapter. But finally, we come to Micah chapter 5. And in Micah chapter 5, at verse 2, we read these words. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, 
Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Ah, finally. There's the Christmas verse that we were looking for. There's the verse that is going to show up on a Christmas card. Maybe it'll be on your Christmas card that you send out to people. Or it'll be on some Christmas cards that you get. Or you'll see it on one of the signs at Hobby Lobby. Or you might see it somewhere else. Somebody's front yard might have a, one of the yard signs up. But this is a popular Christmas verse. And this is what we were headed to. But in order to look at this verse, we needed to understand the background and the context that this verse was set in. You see, Christmas 2023 is characterized by beautiful decorations, trees, greens and reds and golds and silvers, gifts, wrapped up bows. I love to wrap gifts. I don't like to use bags. I like to wrap Shiny paper, ribbons on there, put under the tree. We, uh, we have uh, a beautiful manger scenes, you know, and everything looks so clean, so sterile, so beautiful. But you and I, uh, we want to we understand, we want to get the full impact of this, this, this Christmas season, this, you know, this, this holiday that we, that we celebrate. And what you and I need to understand, and, and this is what I'm hoping that you'll get from this, is what I'm sharing with you. This, this what I just read to you from Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it is believed that this was written or spoken 700 years before the birth of a little peasant boy in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Jesus. 700 years. And did you know that at the time that Jesus was born, even that time, you know, we think of the wise man, the shepherds, the angel. Oh, man, how beautiful. Wish I could have been there. Really? When Herod found out that Jesus had been born, he had all of the male children killed. That's the kind of society that they were living in. That was the first Christmas. It was not all lights and candles and choirs and romanticism. It was a very dark time. And, and if you go back and you read, you know, you go back to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, you get another wonderful Bible verse there. It's set at the same time. You see, that's the point. This is the, this is the point of Christmas. That even today in 2023, our world is falling apart. Can I get an amen? Let me say something to you. I don't want to bum you out. Maybe I have already. In a sense, in a sense, it makes no difference which political party gets voted in in the next election. This world is still falling apart. And it is going to continue to do so. And this great United States of America that we live in and that I love, I've not traveled extensively, but I've traveled to some other countries. And I have yet to experience a better country than this one. 
But from top to bottom and bottom back up to the top, we are corrupt. At every level of society, every level of government, corrupt. And there is no hope apart from Jesus of Nazareth. And so as you and you and I, we, as we go into the Christmas season, man, we want to understand. This, this is a beautiful time. This is my favorite time of year. My favorite time of year. But why? Because it's, it's indicative of hope. A little peasant baby was born 2,000 years ago. The first Christmas. Jesus, the Savior. The true light who gave light to all men coming into the world. That's why we're doing all of this. That's why we have all of this beauty. It is because of all of the ugliness out there. And that's what makes this so beautiful, so calming, so peaceful. That's why we send cards to one another, pictures of our family. It's because we're excited about the fact that Jesus was born into this world and that presents hope for all of us. It presents light. And the world needs that. Now, let me say something before we close. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, he had to be specific about which Bethlehem. There were actually two Bethlehems. There was one further north and then the one in the south. And he says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, we all go, oh, Bethlehem. Oh, that's, man, that's, that's incredible. But notice what he says about this Bethlehem. He says, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. In other words, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you're insignificant. Can anything good come out of Bethlehem? He says, you're little among the thousands of Judah. He, he recognizes that. He indicates that. He says, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, not someone, but the one, we all understand, that's Jesus, the one to be ruler in Israel. And then we find out, I told you already that this was written, spoken, written some 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, and he says, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. In other words, God has had this plan in place for a really long time. Christmas was in the mind of, on the heart of God. He was he was waiting for the, the, the perfect opportunity to send Jesus into the world, the perfect gift. And he was going to be born into Bethlehem. Bethlehem? Who's, who's coming from there? What about Jerusalem? It's the capital city. But the capital city was rotten to its core. And he says, little Bethlehem over there. God's going to use Bethlehem to introduce the Savior of the world into the world. Incredible. He would be born in Bethlehem in a stable. Isn't that incredible? A king without a castle, a prince without a palace. That was God's plan. For Mary, this young virgin girl, to give birth to 
a little baby boy. That's it? That's your plan? That's how you're going to rescue the world? It was absolutely brilliant. Now, as we finish, let's do this. I'm going to have you turn with me one more time so we can finish up. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and that's where we will finish. Now, after Jesus was born, okay, after Jesus was born, so you make sure you tell Pastor John, I didn't teach the Christmas message, okay? I don't want to blow it for him, okay? As we're talking about, we're talking about way before, 700 years before, Pastor John, and now after the birth of Jesus. He says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, okay? Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they were coming from the east. They had seen a star. They followed that star. It led them there. And notice in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod wasn't rejoicing. He wasn't happy. He was not excited about this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because if Herod is upset... If he loses his head, other people might lose their heads. And they understand that. And Herod does not want any competition for his throne. And so he hears about this, what do you, what do you mean this king of the Jews? What are you talking about? And here's what he does, verse 4. And when he had gathered, this is Herod, wicked man, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, of the people together. So he brings all of the religious leaders, all of the, all of the Bible teachers, gathers them all up. And it says that he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Tell me where this, where's this prophecy? Where, where's, where's this Christ, this Messiah, this King of the Jews? Where's he supposed to be born? This is, this, this never, I, I've been hearing this story probably all of my life. And it just, the older I get, this just blows my mind more and more every year. Understand what's going on here. Herod hears that the Messiah is being born into the world. He gathers up all his religious leaders and he says, where is this supposed to take place? So they said to him, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 2, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. What prophet? Micah. You and I read it. And I love this paraphrase that they give him here. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler, and then they quoted from verse 3 of Micah chapter 5, who will shepherd my people Israel. See that? When they needed an answer concerning Jesus, the religious leader said, oh, it's written in Micah chapter 5. Well, they didn't have chapters then, but it's written in Micah. And they went back and they read it to him. Now, we would assume that at this point, this man Herod would go, ah, okay, God spoke about this. Okay, I guess it's got to happen. But is that what Herod did? No. In fact, it says, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, it was about five miles away. Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me. And then he lies through his grimy teeth that I may come and worship him also. In fact, 
That is not what he did. Now, if you do not know the rest of the story, you want to go on and read. It's part of the Christmas story. The wise men, after they go and visit Jesus and Mary, they're warned by God not to go back to Herod. And so they split, they leave the country a different way. When Herod realizes what they did, he immediately orders the murder, the killing, of all Jewish male boys, two years old and younger. It's horrific. Part of the problem, the challenge for you and I is that we, we read that and we go, oh, okay, yeah, it's, just, it's in the Bible, okay, that's part of the story, okay, let's move on, you know, what's the next chapter? No, we're talking about baby boys murdered, just in cold blood. Because a man was fearing for his throne. This is, this is their leader, Herod. And he's killing all of their children. Can you imagine? Those of you that are moms in here. Your two-year-old, beautiful little two-year-old baby boy. Being torn from your hands and killed in front of you. It's part of the Christmas story. It's horrific. But because Jesus was born into the world, we have hope, even in the darkest of times. And this is, you know, for a lot of people this season, man, this is, this is depressing for them. You've lost loved ones. You're, maybe you're alone. Could be one of the most, the, the, the loneliest times of, of the whole year for you. And you don't like it. But the fact that Jesus was born into this dark world means that we have hope means that there's a, a light that has shined on us. And for those of us that are, are Christians, the light has shined in us also. Now, let me share this as we close. Herod came this close to Jesus. But because he was so very afraid and so very committed to building his own kingdom, he missed Christmas, the greatest Christmas there ever was. Friends, if you are all tied up and trying to do your own thing, trying to make your own life happen, trying to build up your own kingdom, trying to make sure that the throne of your heart is occupied by you, you know what? You can have all the best decorations. You can have all the best Christmas presents. You can have all the gold and the glitter, everything that shines. You can have all of it. And you can come this close to Jesus and then completely miss him. You don't want to do that. What you want to do is you want to be like the wise men who came, who sought out Jesus, found him, and it says that they worshipped him. That's the first thing that they did when they got there. They worshipped him. There were gifts, whatever, but they worshipped him. You want to place your faith in Jesus because if you do not, if you haven't yet, you want to place your faith in Jesus because if you do not do that, you're going to come this close. But this close is not good enough. 
You do not want to miss Christmas. You do not want to miss Jesus. You need to surrender your heart to him because Jesus, he came to give us light. And that's what you need. That's what I need. We need light in these dark hearts of ours or we will continue on in our darkness, in our hopelessness, in our loneliness, groping like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that's not there. Grabbing and grasping for things that are never going to satisfy us. So this year, surrender your heart to Jesus so that you can experience Christmas for the first time. 